BYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halley. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. TYB on the run. We're welcome to Mark 3. Again, these are quick Bible blasts to get you tempted to read the whole book of Mark. So we're in chapter 3, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boagnes, which is sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he was an impure spirit. He has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, are you ready to wrestle with Mark 3? This amazing chapter where are you just loving just spending time with Jesus and just getting to know him? I hear so many people that, you know, read biography books and read all these books. And and I just think time and time again, every year, I just want to read a gospel to just get to know more about my Jesus and to get to know more of how he acted and how he reacted to circumstances. And in Mark 2, we went through that... Um, 
And Jesus is kind of addressing all of these things and he's greater than all of these things. He's greater than, um, you know, the, the sinners. He's, he's, he's with the sinners. He's greater than fasting. He's greater than the Sabbath. And we've got this kind of continuation story because, again, the chapters are put in a bit later. So, again, we've got this story of Jesus greater than the Sabbath. And, again, we are in this tradition moment or this battle moment between tradition and what actually a, a Christian or a, a Jew at this stage looks like? What, what am I, how am I supposed to act? And even with Jesus there, we have these Pharisees following him and the crowd following him and telling him, trying to trip him up. So the beginning of um, Mark 3 is this. Another time, can you hear that? So we're supposed to continue the story. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. He's in church. He's in the church and a man with a shriveled hand is there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. This is a heartbreaking moment that the people in the church, there's a man with a shriveled hand in the church, and the people in the church are watching to trip up Jesus. They don't care about the man with the shriveled hand. They don't care about um, the situation that that man is faced and has come to the synagogue probably to, to get help. All they care about is their church tradition. And TYB, sometimes we get so stuck in church tradition that we forget the people that we are supposed to be helping. I remember my sister rang me once and she had just come back from church and she said, oh, Katie, the funniest thing happened to me this morning. She said, I lost my, my, my mission. And I said, what happened? She said, I was on my way to church and I was trying to get the kids in the car and, you know, I'm, I'm quick, we've got to get to church on time. And she said, and my girlfriend rang and I was like, oh, my gosh, I really seriously have to get to church. And I'm already late and I'm supposed to be running kids' church at that time. And she said, oh, you know, I was so late and, and, um, and I was talking to her on the phone and, and it was just, you know, and she desperately needed my help and, and I just kind of lost my way. And she said, I got this instant in my brain of stop talking to me. I have to get to church on time. And she said the Holy Spirit just really stopped her and just said, seriously? You're going to church and you're worried about being late for church, yet I've sent somebody to, that needs your help and you can't see that your mission and your tradition, your tradition has, has overtaken your mission. And I just got so convinced. I got off the phone to her and I said, what did you do? I saw while I was on the phone. I said, what did you do? And she said, I just stopped the car. I pulled over. She said, I did not care if I was late for church. She said, I can apologize for that later. She said, but this person needed my help and I need to be focused on the mission that Jesus has given us, not the tradition that I'm used to in the church. And I just loved it. And I have to tell you, because this is exactly what's happening here. The tradition of the church, and I understand tradition of Sabbath and it's God-given and rest and all of that sort of stuff, but the tradition of the church had overtaken the mission of the church, which was to help the poor. And Jesus is balancing it out here. He's like, this is not good. So he steps in and he says, um, I love it, where he says, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to demonstrate this to everybody because they've lost the plot. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, uh, to save a life or to kill? They remained silent because they knew. They, they knew he was, he was about to reveal their stupidity. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Guys, sometimes we can over, 
over uh, accentuate tradition and forget the mission of our church. I've seen it time and time again in church. You know, people come in and, and um, you know, when I was young, a, a, a kid came, a youth kid came into our church and she was dressed, I think I've said this the best she could, but she, you know, her, her dress was super short. <laughs> and do you know how many people at the end were like, oh, she can't dress like that in church? She's in church. She's at least there. I was just so proud that she was in church. And I almost felt like saying, you Pharisee, your tradition is overtaking your heart for the people. And sometimes I get a little bit passionate about that. And I think we need to get passionate about that. Don't let your church tradition overtake the fact that somebody can come in and blow those traditions out of the water, but at least they are in church. And that is our goal. So he says um, he was he's he's heartbroken at the moment because these people are representing him and they're stubborn. This is the synagogue. They're worshipping Yahweh, which is him. Jesus himself is there. God himself is there. And he's like, these guys don't represent me at all. He says, stretch out your hand. Oh, he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They, this, this was too much for them. This was too much that Jesus would change their heart. This was too much for them and their tradition, um, and they started now to plot to kill him because he's, he's mixing it up a bit. I remember somebody saying when, when Jesus comes into your church, would, would your um, congregation be offended? <laughs> and I love that moment. Would your congregation be offended, you know, if a homeless man came into your church? Would your congregation be offended if if there were there was somebody who didn't understand the ways like me? I didn't understand the ways of church. I didn't understand. I didn't grow up in church. I went to Sunday school, but with my grandparents every now and then. But I didn't go to church, so I didn't understand certain rules and regulations and what the offering bucket was and all of those sort of things. This is what church is all about: making people absolutely want to be there. And this is what Jesus does. He's like, church is about the people. So I'm going to stop harping on about that. Crowds follow Jesus. I love this moment. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd. from. He's, he's trying to get away. Guys, sometimes you are trying to get away from the crowd. And we knew in chapter two that the crowd and the Pharisees were the things that were kind of coming against Jesus. When you are doing something for God, the crowd and the Pharisees will always turn up. There will always be people who have an opinion and there will always be a Pharisee telling you that you are not in the will of God. And Jesus is trying to withdraw from that because he's trying to he's trying to draw away from that. He says Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the lake, with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd again followed him. When they heard all he was doing, he's got this. And Mark is very big on this crowd again. This crowd, this crowd. They want to be healed. They're pushing forward to get him healed. The impure spirits are saying, "You are the Son of God." And there's all these distractions to the mission. Again, there's all these distractions to Jesus' mission. And even in your life, TYB, there's always going to be a distraction. Even when you come to read the Bible and pray, I can guarantee there'll be a distraction. I can guarantee something will happen. Someone will ring. Something will happen. And, you know, there's a, there's a difference between taking a phone call, you know, and helping people. Absolutely. Go and do that. But there's times where we've really got to draw away from the crowd and really just spend time with Jesus because he is our life source. If our life source is the crowd and the Pharisees, we're in trouble. We've got to have this time of going away. And again, he says in 3.13, Jesus went up on the mountainside. So he realized he can't draw away with his disciples just to a lake. And he's like, you know what? I need to go higher. So he goes again and he goes up on a mountainside. TYB, maybe you need to have a mountainside experience where you draw away and you just spend time with God and with Jesus and in your word because those experiences will change your life. 
And um, I love this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and this is where he calls the disciples. Big things happen when you draw away from the crowd and the Pharisees. Big things happen when you just get away with Jesus. He, he does these big moments in Mark, choosing the 12 disciples just before he goes um, on in Gethsemane. He has these big moments where he draws away and actually just spends time with God. And if he doesn't have these moments, then these moments don't happen. It's quite amazing when you when you read this, you realize that he's got to get away from the crowd for God to instruct him. Jesus has to do that. So how much more do we, which is really amazing. Then he does the 12 disciples. Now I have to say, on class last week, I said to my students, name the 12 disciples. And I, I giggle every year because it's a setup. <laughs> it's really hard to name the 12 disciples. Just try it. Again, I mean, I've read them to you. But, of course, you're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which you would be 50% right. Um, Matthew and John are disciples. Luke is not a disciple and neither is Mark. Um, Or, you know, somebody the other day was saying, Timothy, and I was like, yeah, no, not a disciple. A disciple, you know, maybe a mentoring um, session with Paul, but not a disciple of Christ. So we have these incredible men These 12, 12 means governmental authority. They are the replacement or the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the new tribes, the new nation, the people of God, 12 representatives. And we have them here. And I love Simon. We all know about Simon. We know James, the son of um, Zebedee and John, his brother. John is the guy that wrote um, Revelation 1 to 3 John and the Gospel of John. Andrew, very little about Andrew. We know that he's Peter's brother. Uh, Philip. Philip's the guy that that later in Acts um, ends up becoming one of the leaders of the churches with Stephen. But also, it's so amazing, we focus on Stephen as the leader of the church, but Philip is actually the disciple in that moment. But also he's the guy that ministers to the, the, um, the Ethiopian eunuch and ends up baptizing him and then just transports to another location. Super cool gift. Bartholomew, we know very little about Bartholomew. If you watch the Risen movie, they kind of take poetic license on Bartholomew and he is this super happy disciple. Uh, Matthew, we know. Thomas, poor Thomas, we know him as a doubter. James, son of Alphaeus, we know very little about James. Thaddeus, again, probably not on your list of disciples, but when we get to heaven, we're going to have a chat to Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. We're going to have a chat to Thaddeus and say, hey, Thaddeus, how are you going? Because, you know, in the end of the Gospel of John, it actually says if everything was written down that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough libraries in the world to contain it. Meaning what? And this is John's Gospel at the end of of, um, 90 AD. So it's kind of 60 years from Jesus' life. And he's saying, if I wrote down everything that we saw, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them. Imagine going when we get to heaven and sitting down with Thaddeus and saying, tell me, what else we don't know about Jesus? What did he say? What do we do? Isn't that frustrating? It's kind of frustrating. But I cannot wait to get to heaven and chat to these guys and say, what was it like? Bartholomew, we barely hear. But do you know what? Just because Acts focuses in on Paul's mission doesn't mean that these guys were not out and about preaching the gospel. Once this Jesus dies and the ascension and he goes, they go preaching. Just because Acts is focused on Paul, uh, Peter and John in the beginning and then Paul, does not mean that these guys left Christianity. No, these were the disciples that Christianity was based upon. And history tells us somewhere in India, somewhere over here, they were preaching the gospel just as much as Paul was spreading the gospel. So how cool is that? Okay, let's keep going. Then Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered. Again, we've got these moments where Jesus 
Jesus is moving so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Can I say, we've spoken about the Pharisees. There is always going to be some religious person telling you that you couldn't do something and you shouldn't be doing something. There is always a crowd to tell you what you're doing wrong. But the most heartbreaking moment of the Gospels is this moment where his actual family come to tell him he's out of his mind. And that's heartbreaking. I don't know about you, but if you have a family that don't follow Christ or you didn't grow up in church and they do not understand, Jesus understands. <laughs> Jesus understands because his family, when he was in full ministry, now we know that James, the brother of Jesus, writes the book of James later. But James, his brother, Jude, his brother, you know, who is it in this? Now, another gospel actually tells us that his, his brothers and his mother comes to, his mother, Mary, comes to tell him he's out of his mind. Why? Because they do not understand what he's doing. They do not understand the fullness of his, of his mission. They don't understand why he's going against their church, the Jewish church. Just because your family doesn't understand, understand does not mean that you are not on the right track. And sometimes when your family doesn't understand and that maybe they're not saved, that is more so that your mission, that Jesus understands your mission. And I remember when I was young going to Jesus and just saying, God, why why am I doing these things? Why am I called to follow Christ when nobody else seems to be called to follow Christ? And I remember that he understood and he knows. So don't feel alone in that. If your family is not following Christ yet, they will because even Jesus' brothers turned from not believing to believing. So be, be encouraged. Then we have this incredible moment, and I'm going to finish on this, of this house divided, where Jesus kind of speaks to them in parables. And we've got these parables in the next chapter, parable of the sower and the lampstand. These are all kind of on the same um, gist, growing the parable of growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. Parables are, are an extension of a story when people, when he, Jesus doesn't think that they're going to understand what he's saying. And he says this, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. He's saying, I cannot be of Satan and of God. I can't. <laughs> that house doesn't stand. And he doesn't even, I love this, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he's, he can't stand and his end has come. It's basically saying it is impossible. It is impossible for Satan and God to have the same mission. I love this. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. So he's giving an example of the day saying, you know what, if you want to kind of build, you know, go into a strong man's house. You have to tie up the strong man. Um, then he can plunge the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. This amazing statement of blaspheming the Holy Spirit has confused Christians to this day. Most of my students are like, oh my gosh, what happens if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? The whole point of this is to say that you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is in you because a house divided cannot stand. <laughs> the whole point of this is to say that the Holy Spirit um, will not reside in, in this in, in together. And he's saying, I, basically, Jesus is saying, I'm not of the devil. He's saying, you know, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. And he's proving to them that an impure spirit and the spirit of Christ cannot be together. Those houses, that house would not stand. And I love this moment. Be very strong and secure, Christians, that when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in you, you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So don't get all anxious. I hear people in there like, I'm studying what the unforgivable sin is. Don't focus on the unforgivable sin. Focus on living your life for Christ and this will not be an issue. 
Um, let's keep going. Then Jesus' mother's brothers arrived again. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him again, Mary. And his, and his brothers are at the door trying to get him to come in. And he says this incredible moment. He says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And this moment of heartbreak, again in Mark, we see the crowd coming in and, you know, and influencing Jesus. We see the Pharisees telling him he's doing something wrong. And now the most heartbreaking moment, his family step in. No matter what and who tells you you can't do something, you have to know that you have those times. This is why the mountainside times was so important in this story. Let me say it again. This is why in 3.13, Jesus had to get up on that mountainside. Why? Because he, he was about to face his family. He was about to face this family that says you're crazy and he had to get the word of God to say, no, he wasn't. He was on the right mission. Guys, I encourage you, go and have a mountainside moment. If you are listening to your family and they're discouraging you, if you're listening to the Pharisees and they're discouraging you or the crowd and they're discouraging you, you need a mountainside moment that sets your identity right and sets your mission back on God and God will tell you that you are doing great. Well done. So keep keep having those mountainside moments, guys, and I'm loving studying Mark with you.